When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello there, listeners, and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 362 of Sustainable Minimalists. This is a show about intentional and eco-friendly minimalist living. On today's show, we are discussing intentional living at its core, because we're discussing how to live on purpose. In the chaotic rush of our day-to-day life, it is so easy to get caught up in doing all the things. And all too often, life gets in the way. We don't take the time because we don't make the time to sit back and reflect and realize that we have the power to choose our paths because we are in the driver's seat. Now, today's show kicks off Breaking Bad Habits Week because if we want to live on purpose, we need to cultivate the good habits and reduce or even better diminish the hold that bad habits have in our daily lives. So today I'm speaking with best-selling author Tanya Dalton about her latest book titled On Purpose, The Busy Woman's Guide to an Extraordinary Life of Meaning and Success. Tanya, I know you are about to just drop so much wisdom on all of us, myself included. How are you? I'm doing fabulously. Thank you. We're talking all about living on purpose today, and what a big topic. But before we go down that journey together, introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, what you write about, maybe a fun fact. Give us all the details. Okay. Yeah. So my name is Tanya Dalton, and I'm a wife. I'm a mother. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm an author and a keynote speaker. So I wear lots of different hats, as I'm sure many of your listeners do as well. (laughs) I like to say that we live a life of a lot of freedoms, time freedom, financial freedom, location freedom. And I think that it lends itself really well to a lot of what you talk about with minimalism and that intentionality, that it really comes down to choices. A lot of what I've learned in my journey of motherhood, entrepreneurship, and just moving through the world as a woman has really culminated into a lot of what I talk about and speak about, which is that idea of the power of choice. My first book was called The Joy of Missing Out, which is really about figuring out what it is you want to do. How do you want to spend your time? Because that ultimately is your choice. And then with On Purpose, my second book with HarperCollins, that's really about how do I figure out who I am? What do I think I want to do in this world? And I wrote that book because during the pandemic, I felt like so many people were saying, wait, what have I been doing? all day? Or why have I been doing all these things? And it became really clear that we wanted to have lives that felt much more meaningful. 
I think as a society, it's a time where there's a lot of shifting happening for women. And we're really stepping into that power of intentionality and that power of choice. Hmm. A quote that you had written in your book that really spoke to me was, and I'm going to say it out loud, it isn't about changing who you are. It's about rising up and becoming the best version of you. And that really spoke to me personally. Like, I don't think anybody would disagree with this statement, right? Nobody sets out to be a mediocre (laughs) version of themselves. But the problem becomes how to rise up and be the best version of you in our time-crunched, overworked, no time to stop and reflect lives. I guess that brings me to your first step, which, of course, is reflection. You argue that we need to look backwards before we seek to look forwards. Talk to me about that. Why do we need to look backwards first and what should we be looking for? Yeah, first of all, I love that quote resonates with you because I think so often we feel like purpose is this big, heavy word that it's, oh, purpose and it's so big. But really, it's about stepping into your own personal greatness. It's about really figuring out where it is you want to go and then choosing to take action each and every day that gets you closer to that big, bright, beautiful future you dream about. And you can't think about the future unless you want to look backwards because everything that's behind us, all of those breadcrumbs that we have left along our trail, that has that's what's led us to who we are today. Not just where we are, but who we have become and what we believe and what we think we're capable of. So you really do have to start with reflection. And I know you feel like, okay, do I have time for reflection? But honestly, reflection doesn't have to be one of those things where you have to set aside a whole afternoon. It's just really doing a little stopping and intentionally thinking about who you've been in the past. And I think that question of what is my purpose, because it has a lot of weight to it, people feel like, oh, I have no idea what my purpose is, or, oh my gosh, that's too big. I I have no idea. So I often tell people, your purpose is hidden in your past. So dive into who you were before you started adulting, before you started worrying about a mortgage or fitting in with all of your friends, even like in high school, right? Or junior high, go back to when you were truly a child, because when you were a kid, anything was possible or really everything was possible. So what was it you wanted to be when you grew up? Maybe you wanted to be a lawyer or an astronaut or the president, or maybe you wanted to be Wonder Woman. Okay, we can all agree maybe Wonder Woman is not in your future, (laughs) what you're going to be. But let's stop and ask ourselves why. Why did I want to be Wonder Woman? Was it because she stood for truth and justice? Is it because she defended people who couldn't? Is it because she really represented a strong woman to a whole generation of young girls? What was it about Wonder Woman that appealed to you? Dive into the things you were passionate about. What were the tasks and the activities even the topics that you would get really fired up about and then ask that question, why? Why did I enjoy playing soccer? Why did I enjoy experimenting in science? Really dive into the why behind the activities and you're going to start to see some little breadcrumbs there that you're going to think, oh, you know what? I still enjoy those things. And a lot of times those aspects can be brought into our present day and we can start crafting our purpose based off of what we learned in the past. Yeah, you mentioned diving into the why there, and that relates to an exercise you had in the book that I know and love. 
you call it the fifth why exercise. I've heard it called the drill down method before. Can you walk us through an example of the fifth why exercise so that my listeners can jump on board? Yeah. What I love about the fifth why is a lot of times we ask ourselves a question about why do I feel this way? And we just stop with that first why, which is really surface level. It's really pretty shallow. We need to ask why five times to get to the heart, to get to the root of why we're feeling a certain way. So let's say right now you're having this emotion or this feeling of being a failure. Oh, I'm such a failure. I haven't done anything. Okay. All right. Why do you feel like a failure? There's our first why. Well, I feel like a failure because I didn't get a promotion at work. Okay. Let's ask why again. Why didn't you get the promotion at work? There's our second why. Well, I didn't get the promotion at work because my boss said I didn't have the certifications I needed and I wasn't spending enough time on my projects. Okay. Why don't you have the certifications? There we are. Number three. I don't feel like I have the certifications because my workday is just so busy. I get into work and it feels chaotic right from the very start. Okay. Fourth why. Why does it feel chaotic right when you get there? Because I'm always running late and traffic is terrible. If you start diving into these things. Okay. Why do you feel like traffic is causing you to be late? Fifth why. Well, because I'm getting up late because I'm not really getting a good night's sleep. Oh, okay. So the reason why you're feeling like a failure isn't because you didn't get the promotion. It goes all the way back to, I'm not getting up in time to really feel like I'm empowered and making choices in your morning. I am sleeping late because I'm not going to bed on time. So we can dive into some of those root causes, fix those, and then all those other issues or problems or things that you're experiencing in your world that are causing some irritation can start to go away, but they can't go away unless we tackle that root cause of it. So asking that question why five times is such a simple, easy, it's a, it's a task you could do while you're in the shower. You can do it while you're driving in the car. It doesn't require any more time or effort. It just requires you being really introspective. As I was reading your book, Tanya, I found myself wondering whether in 2023, where we all have these extremely powerful little computers attached to our hip, quite literally, our phones, of course, that rob us of our attention, rob us of our free time, whether the opportunity for reflection is dwindling. I don't feel as though I make time to stop and think and reflect in my daily life. And I think that <laughs> my constant attachment, like physical attachment to my phone is a reason because the second I have a free moment, what do I do? I pick up my phone. Do you have any thoughts for listeners who are like me and they just feel like there's no time anymore to let their minds wander? There's no time to do the fifth why exercise. Their brain is so scattered, it's here, it's there, it's everywhere. Reflection is on the backest of back burners. Yeah, well, I think you solved it right there for yourself because you realize you're picking up the phone anytime you have a spare moment. So what we understand there is that's become a habit. And it's a habit so many people have. We have five minutes, 10 minutes, 10 seconds. <laughs> and what do we do? We automatically reach for our phones. We have become a little bit afraid of boredom. So we're constantly entertaining ourselves. Where The truth is, boredom is what allows creativity and exploration to happen. And that's really important for your brain. 
So there's several ways. First of all, you can break the habit of just looking at your phone right away. Stop carrying it around with you all the time. (laughs) Take your social media apps and put them on like the third screen or make it so there's a limited amount of time that you can access those. Really being intentional and recognizing, you know what? I know I have a lot of time. If you look at your screen time, you're going to say, oh my gosh, I do have a lot more time than I realized, but we're eating it up when we get into that never-ending infinite scroll on Instagram or on Facebook. So that would be the first thing I would say is it's really good to acknowledge this is a habit I've fallen into. Let's figure out how we can break that habit. But one of the things that I do is, because I do realize we all have crazy lives. There's a lot of chaos, especially with kids and jobs and everything else going on. So I schedule reflection in my calendar like an appointment. It's in my calendar. It's written like a doctor's appointment. It's a non-negotiable. And each quarter of the year, I schedule a half day where I sit down, I do reflection, I think about where I am. Do I like where I am? Am I happy with what I'm doing? Where do I want to go next? And then I start creating that map of, okay, where do I want to go in the next three months? By creating that container of time, that's what's allowed me to achieve so many of my goals is because I've been really intentional with them. And the truth is, you have an hour of time to gift yourself. And I use that word gift very intentionally there. We hand out our time like it's dollar bills on a street corner. If they really were dollar bills, we wouldn't be handing it out so freely. We would think, you know what? I got to pay the mortgage. I got to pay for groceries. I got to make sure my kids are taken care of. We wouldn't just hand it out to anyone who comes our way. But when it comes to our time, we're just freewheeling, just handing out 10, 15 minutes saying yes to anything and everything that comes our way. So by really being intentional, carving that time out in advance, I don't wait till I have time, I make time. And there's a really big difference in that phrasing because the truth is you're never going to have the time. We, it's kind of like having kids. You're, it's never going to be the right time to have kids. You're never going to have enough money to have kids, but we have them anyways and we figure it out along the way. It's the same thing with your time. You're not going to be able to just find time. You're not going to all of a sudden stumble into your living room and go, oh my gosh, there's an hour just sitting there. We have to actually make that time. And you know that you do this already. You carve out time to carpool your kids around. You you carve out time to, to volunteer for the project or the task that somebody asked you to do that you didn't even want to do. You carve out time here and there. Why don't you try carving out some time for yourself? Because when you take care of yourself and you really start nurturing and taking care of your goals, your passion projects, you become the best version of you. And that's really living on purpose. And when you are the best version of you, guess what? You're the best version in all aspects. So taking care of yourself isn't a luxury. It's something that is a necessity in order to step forward in the world and make the impact you really want to make. I love what you said there about carving out time. The time is not ever going to fall in your lap to pursue your passions, to adopt new good habits, to do whatever you want to do. The time is never going to fall in your lap. And so you have to make the time. And for me in my life, things started to change once I started putting on my daily calendar, my daily schedule, the things that I wanted to cultivate in my own life. Like I used to love to read, loved reading. But once my kids came around, it wasn't a it wasn't like a conscious stopping of the reading. It just fell to the wayside. And so now every single day, 
Every single day, I write on my schedule, read 10 pages. And every single day now, I do it. The solution was so simple. And so I just say that to say, carve out the time, write down what you want to do on your schedule and put yourself first. So Tanya, we're going to take our first break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about the reasons why we choose instant gratification over our long-term goals. We're going to do all of that after a quick word from our sponsor. And we're back. Today, I am speaking with Tanya Dalton. She is the author of a new book out now. It's called On Purpose, The Busy Woman's Guide to an Extraordinary Life of Meaning and Success. Tanya, I want to talk to you about what psychology says are the reasons we tend to choose instant gratification over our long-term goals. So maybe we buy a pair of fancy new shoes instead of putting that $300 in our savings account, let's say, or perhaps we eat extra dessert instead of stopping when we're full. So Instant gratification, short-term happiness over long-term goals. And when you answer this question, why we do this, I'm hoping you, fingers crossed, are going to give the example of the Matt Damon, Natalie Portman research in your oh, yes. answer. Natalie Portman is responsible for you not hating your goals. <laughs> There's a study, and for me, it totally just sheds so much light on why we struggle these researchers used an fMRI machine, which goes in, it maps out your brain, and it highlights different areas of your brain that light up when you're thinking about different things. So they put these subjects into this fMRI machine, and they had these subjects think about themselves. Think about yourself today. And this certain area of their brain would light up like a Christmas tree, light up nice and bright. And they'd say, okay, now we're going to show you a picture of someone. So they would show a picture of Matt Damon or a picture of Natalie Portman. And when they did, a different part of their brain would light up. The part of their brain that's connected with other people, having connections. So the part that thinks about you is one area and the part that thinks about others is a totally separate area. So then the researchers said, all right, I want you to think about yourself in the future. Now, when they said the future, the future could be five years from now, five months from now, five minutes from now. So just not you right in this very second, but you sometime in the future. And when they did, the part of your brain that lights up is the same part that lights up when you think about Natalie Portman. So when you think about yourself today, you think about yourself as being you. But when you think about yourself in the future, it's not really you to your brain. It's a person who acts like you and talks like you, has the same name as you, but it's not really you at all. It's a stranger that you kind of know. And this is why when it comes down to choosing the cookie or the carrot, you think, I don't have to worry about having the cookie and all the extra weight. That other person has to worry about it. That future self who's not me, they'll deal with it. Same thing with choosing to splurge on the shoes versus your 401k because you're not worried about it. And in fact, another set of researchers thought this was so fascinating they had people sit down and write down how much they wanted to put forth for their 401ks. And it was a small amount. And then they showed them an age-progressed picture of themselves. Now, when they showed the age-progressed picture of themselves, you know what those participants did? They wanted to save more. So if you want to achieve your goals, connect who you are today, right now in this very moment, 
to who it is you're wanting to be in the future. So you could, let's say you want to run a marathon. All right, get a picture of somebody running a marathon and just superimpose your picture right on top of their face. Super easy to do, especially with all the apps and filters we have nowadays. Or age progress a photograph of yourself and look at that when you're wanting to save money. So really connecting you of today with your future you, that's going to make all the difference. It's not this battle in our brain of good versus bad. It's not that you're bad because you chose the cookie instead of the carrot, although we tell ourselves that's why. It's really today you versus future you. So drawing that connection and really making sure that you're really clear that this is a benefit to me, that's what's going to allow you to be more successful for all your goals. Where does cathedral thinking come into play here? Maybe you can explain what cathedral thinking is and how it can help us envision ourselves of the future. Yeah, well, cathedral thinking really is this idea about thinking about yourself far off into the future, not just a week or two weeks, but really thinking long-term and seeing this bright, beautiful future that you want to move towards. I think so often we move through life, like we, we hop into our car with no GPS and no plan of where we're going. And then we would wonder, why am I lost? <laughs> if you were to get into the car in, in California and you thought, I'm going to drive to Disney World, If you don't have a map or GPS, you're just like, I'll just wing it. You could end up in Canada. (laughs) I would. I have no sense of direction. But if instead we have a map and we know where we're going, that's where we're going to end up right where we want to go. So cathedral thinking is really giving yourself this beautiful landmark that you're moving towards, something to move towards. And it's called cathedral thinking because back in like the 1100s, the 1200s, The city architects and planners, the builders, they wanted to build cathedrals that were designed to live so much longer than their lifetime. They knew when they broke ground on the Duomo in Florence or Notre Dame, they knew it was going to last so much longer than them. And in fact, it took hundreds of years to build those beautiful cathedrals, which are things that we are still taking in today, right? We're still enjoying the beauty of those, of the architecture in those locations, So really creating this cathedral allows you to have a bright, beautiful future that you know where you want to go. And when you have that landmark, you can start creating a map of, okay, if this is where I am today, and this is where I want to go, this bright, beautiful future, this cathedral, okay, I can make these little dots along my map to figure out how I'm going to get there. And I'm happy to dive into that if you want, because I do think this is one of the big mistakes we all make is we set the wrong goals because... We don't have a cathedral. We don't know where we're going. Yes, I would love it if you dive into that a little bit more because we've looked back for hints and clues as to what our future cathedral should look like. But then there's so many little steps along the way to get from where we are right now to having that completed cathedral. And I think that even if we know what our own cathedral is, what steps we need to take to get it built can be really tricky to figure out. So how do we find out those little steps that we are supposed to take in the direction of creating the cathedral? I think you hit on something really profound there because I think so often we think about where we are now and where we want to go. It's this giant, like huge leap. It's like the Grand Canyon. And we think to ourselves, who am I to do that? Or there's no way I'll ever be able to achieve that. When the truth is, 
we will spend 30 years trying to figure out how do I build a jetpack to jump across that divide of the Grand Canyon. But if you just took tiny steps, one foot in front of the other, one after the next, you can climb down the canyon walls, go across the Grand Canyon and back up the other side in less than a day. So it's not necessarily the big giant leaps that we need to focus in on. It's the small actions. It's the intentional choices that we're making on a regular daily basis that gets us there. Let's just go ahead and get into how you figure these things out, and then we'll dive into the small steps. So here we are today, and we have our big, bright, beautiful cathedral. That's our potential. That's where we want to be 10, 20 years down the road, really far away, big, giant Grand Canyon between (laughs) where you are today and what that looks like. All right. If you think of it like a timeline, like when you were in second grade and you build a timeline of your life, let's look at it that way. All right, we have a dot at one side. That's where you are here. And this dot of your potential, 10, 20 years down the road. All right, let's back up that dot a little bit and let's figure out if this is my potential in 10 to 20 years, what do I think is possible in the next three to five years that would get me closer to that cathedral? Okay, we're getting a little bit closer. Our dots are getting closer together. That's still pretty far away, right? All right, if that's what's possible in three to five years, what's practical? What could I do practically in the next 12 to 18 months? Starting to get that dot even closer to where we are today. All right. If that's what's practical in the next 12 to 18 months, what do I need to prioritize in the next three months, the next six months, the next nine months? Those priorities, those are really close to you, right? Those are your goals. And that's how you set goals that are really aligned to a big, bright, beautiful future that you dream about. That's how you get to the cathedral, not by going from where you are today, jumping ahead 20 years. It's looking at what do I need to do in the next three months? Okay, if this is what I want to do in the next three months, I want to prioritize these actions. And those tiny little steps, that's what's going to get you closer. Each and every step gets you closer to where you want to go. And we have this tendency to undervalue them because the giant leaps look really good on social media. (laughs) They look great, but it's the small steps that truly matter most. And it's choosing to make them each and every day. Little tiny steps. Those steps can be as small as, let's say your cathedral is something like, I want to be healthy and fit well into my 90s. Your tiny step for today could be something so small. Okay, I'm going to call the Pilates studio and find out when they have classes. That's totally achievable. That's 10 minute task, but it gets you closer to that, right? Then the next step would be, okay, I'm going to go ahead and book an appointment and then I'm going to start to go. And you can see these little tiny steps, they start to build up and add up and all of that's going to get you closer to where you want to go. So I'll be honest, Tanya, I must say, after I read your book, I found myself asking myself, I found myself asking myself this question all the time. Is this thing, this action I'm considering, is it getting me closer to my cathedral? Is this getting me closer to my cathedral? Is drinking wine on the couch and then getting a terrible night of sleep getting me closer to my cathedral? No, probably not. Is getting up and going for a run getting me closer to my cathedral? Yes, probably. And I'll be honest, I'm not 100% (laughs) perfect in making the choices that do lead me closer to my own cathedral. But the question really recenters me around, I mean, and I keep saying the word cathedral, but the cathedral is our purpose or our end goal or the best version of ourselves, right? And so just asking myself that is a great way for me to stay on track 
you aptly began discussing the actions we need to take to get to our cathedral. I want to break that down a little bit more after our second and final, I'm sorry, listeners, two ad breaks, but second and final word from our sponsors. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items, and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. And we're back. Tanya, before the break, we were talking about, of course, our cathedrals and The actions, the little daily actions is the point you made. The little daily actions we need to take to get there. It is possible because we are in the driver's seat. What do you say to me or listeners who say they find themselves frequently getting tripped up? Their bad habits come back and rear their ugly heads. It's harder to take those little steps than they envisioned. What do you say to them? First of all, I would say, I love how you're asking yourself that question. Is this getting me closer to my cathedral? But also that acknowledgement that you're not perfect. Because quite frankly, if you said every single time, I just say yes, and I'm moving closer to my cathedral, I would say, okay, are you a robot? (laughs) Because we're humans. We're not designed to be perfect. We're beautifully imperfect. And that's an amazing thing. So embrace that. It's okay. But it can be difficult sometimes to get yourself up off the couch or to get that action moving. So I think the thing is a lot of times we believe that the opposite of stuck, because we feel like we're stuck. Oh, I can't get out of this rut or I can't seem to change what I'm doing. We think the opposite of stuck is unstuck, that there's this magical moment where the clouds part and unicorns shoot out of the sky with rainbows and all of a sudden we're unstuck. When the truth is the opposite of stuck is action. 
small action, getting yourself moving, choosing maybe to get up off the couch, choosing maybe not to go for a run, but going for a walk with the dog after dinner for 10 minutes, and then bumping that up to 15 minutes, and then bumping it up to 20 minutes, and then bumping it up to five minutes of running with 10 minutes of walking, right? It is truly those little things. And once we make that first action, once we first start getting ourselves unstuck, that momentum is going to carry us so much farther. It's looking at a hill. And if you're at the bottom of a hill and you're at a dead stop, it feels impossible to ride that bike up that hill. But if instead you give yourself a little momentum, you go downhill a little bit, you do a couple of easy things, you build momentum, and it's so much easier to get to the crest of that next hill. That's how we get ourselves unstuck. And the truth is, here we go back to reflection, where we talked about at the start of the show. If you stop, and you do a quick little reflection, and you look at the highs and the lows, the peaks and valleys of your life, you're going to see it's not all been sunshine and lollipops. It's not been all up here at the very top. There's been some peaks and then some valleys and then some deeper valleys maybe, and then a few small peaks and then maybe a big peak. But your life map is going to go up and down like a graph. So anytime that you're feeling stuck, and we do, we all get into a headspace sometimes where we feel like, gosh, I am really in a space where I can't get out. Look at your old life map. Look at where you have been, all those breadcrumbs. You're going to see other places where you thought you were stuck and now you got yourself unstuck because every time you had a valley in your life map, there was a peak because otherwise it wouldn't be a valley at all. And then yes, maybe there's a valley that comes or a smaller valley and then another peak, but it's these ups and downs. So part of it is acknowledging, hey, I've been here before. I've done this before. I've already built this muscle. I just need to lean into it a little bit. The truth is, all of it depends on how you look at the situation, how you choose to move forward. We can choose to say that we are stuck, or we can choose to say, you know what? I used to be stuck, but now I'm choosing action. I'm choosing to decide where I want to go. I'm choosing to make a small step. And those small steps need to count in your brain just as much as the big ones, because that's when we can pat ourselves on the back and say, okay, great work. You have a couple of days in a row where you're thinking to yourself, all right, I did a little bit of walking after dinner. All of a sudden, it becomes so much easier and we change how we identify ourselves. We're no longer a person who's stuck. We're a person who is getting out after dinner and exercising or we're a person who moves our body on a daily basis. That's building up more self-trust in yourself. I like how in your answer there, you brought it back around to reflection. If our lives are a graph and there are peaks and valleys, if we don't take the time to look at the peaks and valleys and look at the big picture with all the peaks and valleys, we won't see all those times that we got unstuck through action and made progress towards reaching our cathedral. So reflection is really darn important for so many reasons, and that's one of them. But what about the negative thoughts that often enter our minds when we are stuck. I'm thinking, oh, if only I had worked harder, or if only I had more discipline, or if only I had more willpower, I wouldn't be stuck if I had more discipline or I had more willpower. In your book, you argue that discipline and willpower are overrated. Talk to me about this. Yeah, without question, we love to blame our lack of discipline. (laughs) I like to equate discipline to a white couch. And let me tell you why, because that's a weird thing to say. (laughs) 
But I go online and I see these beautiful living rooms with white couches. And I think, oh, that's what I want. That's beautiful. I love it. And then I bring in a dose of reality. I have a dog, a cat, two kids. We like to watch movies on the couch. We like to eat popcorn. A white couch would be a nightmare for me in the way that we live. So we love the idea of discipline. It looks amazing when we see it on other people. But do you really want to be disciplined? I don't. It sounds so boring. I like spontaneity. I like creativity. I like to have fun and sometimes see where the day takes me. And if we're too disciplined, it's not we're not building in enough of that flexibility for life to really happen. And especially if you have kids, but even if you don't, life demands flexibility. Life demands a lot of grace. So let's let go of that need for discipline and willpower because it's far too overrated. Let's choose instead to build up cycles of self-trust. So that example we just talked about with going for a walk after dinner is a great example of that. Or let's say that you're a person who wants to move into that minimalism lifestyle and you think, oh, it looks so good, but I don't know how to do it. I have too many things. I need to organize my stuff. Okay. And you maybe identify yourself as, oh, but I'm not organized or I'm just not that neat. Okay. You're identifying yourself as not a neat person. Let's change how you identify yourself. So each day you get up and you do something small. Let's say it's making your bed. Ah, it's so good when you make your bed because you make your bed and the rest of the day when you walk in the bedroom, you're like, look at that. Looks so good, right? You walk in and making your bed, especially with the way we make beds today, it takes what, 30, 30 seconds, 45 seconds to throw the duvet up, toss on a couple of pillows and it looks good. That's a really tiny action. But if you start to do that day after day, after three or four days, you're going to become addicted to that feeling of walking in that room and seeing, oh, the bed is made. That looks good. And then we say, okay, you know what? I'm going to stop throwing my clothes on the floor and I'm going to start picking them up. And maybe you don't have to hang them up. Maybe they go into a certain spot in your room, right? Tiny steps, baby steps, little bitty steps. But what you start doing is you start looking at yourself differently. No longer are you a person who's unorganized or is not neat. You're now a person who makes their bed. You're now a person who doesn't have clothes all over the floor. So it is a lot of this shifting how we choose to identify yourself. When you take ownership, when you choose how you identify yourself, that's incredibly powerful. And that's really the first step in being intentional, in taking ownership over your life, in taking ownership over your choices. So little tiny ways to build up these cycles of self-trust. If it's money, maybe it's something like sitting down once a week just to reconcile your accounts or to look over your credit card statements and you build it up from there, right? Little tiny things. What's something small, little that you could do that gets you to start identifying yourself slightly differently than how you look at yourself today? Hmm. Love it. One more question for you, Tanya, has to do with habit stacking, which is not, by the way, listeners, the same as multitasking. I learned that the hard way. (laughs) No, I'm very against multitasking. (laughs) Very pro habit stacking. (laughs) I look at habit stacking as that jet pack that we can strap onto our backs to get us perhaps to our cathedrals slightly quicker. Can you talk to us about First of all, how habit stacking is different from multitasking and how we can introduce it into our lives to really capitalize on the good habits that we're cultivating. 
Yeah. Well, okay. So multitasking is trying to accomplish two tasks at the same time, which is also different than background tasking. Like we can chew gum and drive a car at the same time. That's background tasking because it's using two separate areas of your brain. Multitasking is trying to be on the phone with your friend while also writing an email and then wondering why you can't carry that thread of conversation with your friend. (laughs) That's multitasking or working through lunch, doing things like that, doing two things that engage your brain in a heavy way at the same time. Habit stacking is taking habits that you already do and building off of them, using them as building blocks. Duke University found that about... 45% of your daily actions are actually habits. So you already have habits built in. And even if you think you don't, stop for a second. Think about when you brush your teeth. Do you always brush your teeth the same? Yep, guarantee you do. Guess what? When you put on your shoes, you always put on the same shoe first. Same with putting on your pants. The The same leg goes in first every single time. We create these habits, these shortcuts, because that's a really great way for our brain to save calories so it can really focus in on the important things, right? If we had to think about, okay, when I put my pants on, I have to balance, I have to pick up my foot, I have to, that would be taxing. So we have all these habits already built in. Let's build off those habits. Let's say one of the things you really want to do is you want to have some more creativity in your life. And you think, oh, I just don't have time for creativity. I used to love to journal and doodle, and that was a lot of fun for me, but I just don't have time. All right, let's have it stack it. Let's create some time in your morning routine to fit that thing you're passionate about, creativity and journaling and doodling. Okay, when you get up in the morning, do you have to think twice about getting a cup of coffee or a cup of tea? Probably not. It's not a debate. You're not like, should I have a cup of coffee? Should I not? You're just like, I'm going to get my coffee. (laughs) So that's a habit you already have. Let's stack off that habit. You're already going over to the coffee pot. Go ahead and leave your journal right next to the coffee pot. If you leave your journal right there, as soon as you get your coffee, your brain is triggered by that cue. Oh, there's my journal. I'm going to sit down with my cup of coffee and I'm going to journal for 15 minutes. And then maybe after you journal, maybe you set the timer for 10 minutes. Maybe you put the journal somewhere. Maybe you put it next to your shoes where your shoes go. Okay, now I'm going to pick up my shoes and I'm going to go for a walk. This is how we start to build a routine, which you know what? That looks like discipline, right? When people have an amazing routine in the morning, we think, wow, they're really disciplined. It's just habits stacked one after the next with intentionality. That's a little asterisk I want to throw in there. It's having these habits that stack one after the next with intention. It's choosing how you want to move through your day. If you want to floss more at night, We're brushing our teeth twice a day. So after you brush your teeth in the morning, put it right next to your floss. That way, when you go to bed or you're getting ready for bed, you grab your toothbrush. Guess what you see? The floss sitting right next to it. So you're going to brush, you're going to floss. Then you're going to brush your teeth at night. See how we already have a lot of these habits already built in? Building off of them makes it so much easier to do the things we really want to do. I love it, Tanya. You've given me so much to think about. And what I really love about our conversation is that you make the journey towards reaching our respective cathedrals seem completely accessible, even though it's far off, even though this is a gigantic masterpiece, this cathedral of our purpose of our life, it is possible to get there because we're in the driver's seat of our own lives. Tell us about your new book, On Purpose, The Busy Woman's Guide to an Extraordinary Life of Meaning and Success. Tell us where it is and what it's about. 
Yeah. So a lot of what we talked about here on the show today, we talk about habit stacking. We talk about cathedrals and wayfinding, ways that you can really set goals that work for you. We walk through the processes of reflection, projection, action, and then alteration because goals are going to shift. Goals are going to change. You're evolving and changing. So we get into all of that. And I really do try to make it where it feels really daunting. It doesn't have to be. Let's make it really simple. I want when you read this book to have a lot of clarity and a lot of insight and, oh, I can totally do this. So I even have a companion guide that goes with it that helps you dive deeper into all the exercises and all the things I talk about in the book. That's free. It's a free download that you can grab once you have the book. And you can find the book really anywhere books are sold. But you can also find the links at tanyadalton.com, my website. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Tanya. You've really given me so much wisdom to carry on in my own life with. So thank you so much. Thank you. It was a joy being here. Listeners, that's a wrap. Show notes are at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 362. As I alluded to in the intro to today's show, this is Breaking Bad Habits Week. And so on Thursday's show, I'm answering a listener's question. She wrote to me, she said, she has this bad habit of buying more stuff than she needs, of impulse shopping. What should she do? How can she break the cycle? And so that's what we're discussing on Thursday. I do have a very timely eco tip for you today. And it's for any of us who are experiencing spring-like temperatures, perhaps you're getting your garden ready. This eco-tip comes from me, but it really doesn't come from me. I read it in a news article and I'm regurgitating it to you. It has to do with the use of peat. When I was a kid, my mom always put a bag or two of peat moss in the garden. It helps make soil that you get in a bag light and spongy. It helps with water retention in your garden. But what is peat exactly? Peat comes from peat lands, and peat lands contain twice as much carbon as its forests. These forests with peat lands, scientists do believe that these forests can hold on to the carbon that's in the ground indefinitely, but only if we leave the peatlands alone. So when we extract it and put it in a bag, what we're really doing is we're stripping bogs from their carbon stores, and that releases more carbon into the atmosphere. Now, the United Kingdom, to my friends in the UK listening, your government will ban the sale of peat to consumers beginning next year because, of course, there are plenty of negative environmental effects associated with draining bogs. As of now, as of this recording, the U.S. has not banned the use of peat. But that's okay because you and I and fellow sustainable minimalists, we can make our own potting mix without the use of peat. Just mix equal parts compost, pulverized topsoil from your yard, and some worm castings. I don't know what that is. I'll be honest. Worm castings? I don't know. Some old coffee grounds and some perlite, P-E-R-L-I-T-E, which you can find at hardware stores and almost all garden stores. So no peat in our gardens this year, guys and girls. That's my eco tip for today. I will see you on Thursday, but I will not see you Friday because I'm on vacation and I'm still working and I'm burned out. See you Thursday and take care.